Well, praise God. It's so good to meet together on a nice Sunday afternoon. I would echo what Abe said. If you have time, again, to go over to Cotton Baptist Church tonight, it might be a great encouragement to the Hammermeisters that are over there uh, candidating um, uh, to see, again, if they're going to be the next pastoral couple that goes over there. And uh, so we'll so be praying for that church. They have an important decision to make. Um, uh, Darren's going to be preaching this week and also next week. Uh, so anyways, let's, uh, let's at least encourage them by prayer. And uh, we've been looking at this uh, passage of Scripture, and, and we've mentioned that many people, many individuals, many believers, again, who've gone through this passage, consider this the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. The, um, it's many times called the farewell discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really, again, again given under such somber circumstances. We realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has announced he's going away. We also realize that he's announced that one of the twelve will betray him. And Judas has already left to go betray the Lord Jesus Christ. But the disciples are filled with fear. They're filled again with nervousness because they just do not know how this is going to all work out, that they're going to be without their beloved Lord, beloved friend, beloved Jesus. And here in this sermon, there is so much encouragement. There's so much, again, promise. There's so much hope that happens to be in there. Jesus announces to them that he has to go away, and he goes away for a particular reason, that he might prepare a place, that they might be with him eternally. I mean, it's a glorious promise that happens to be given. He also promises them that if he goes away, they will do greater works than he has ever done. Now think of that. You know, we think many times of the, uh, the, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, but what he's talking about, again, is redemptive. And think of the last 2,000 years, how many millions of individuals have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much of the kingdom really has been occupied because of all these people coming and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's absolutely sensational. And he's also promised them that if he goes away, he will not leave them by themselves. But God the Father and himself will send another comforter. And of course, that happens to be the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we were in this passage of Scripture, and I know it's been a while, we were looking at, at, at the paragraph which happens to take in verses 18 to 24, which again is another incredible and significant and encouraging passage of scripture because of all the promises that happen to be in there. And last time we were together, we looked at two promises that happen to be again in this section. And one is, again, because of the Jesus going away and Jesus' resurrection, that we will rise also, that we will have that as an eternal life. And it's right at the end of verse number 19. It says, because I live, you will also live. And he's talking about a substitutionary death that's followed by his resurrection. And it guarantees beyond a shadow of a doubt our salvation in Jesus Christ, that we will live also. But he also promises, even beyond that, not only again will we rise again, but there's going to be a greater assurance of all of these promises. And you have that in verse number 20. It says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And we know by the question that Thomas asked that this is really uncertain. 
You know, it's so easy to look back from this angle and look back at all the events that happened to be on the cross and understand these things. But you can just imagine, especially when you have preconceived ideas of how everything is going to go, when you're on this side trying to look, trying to understand the words of Jesus Christ. And what he is saying is on this other side, when you get over here, you're going to have such a greater assurance of your salvation, of all this that was done for you, that Jesus truly is mine, and nothing can separate me from him. Now, this afternoon, I want us to look at the last two promises that happen to begin in this section. You know, and I think these promises are so good because we do live in a very dark world. We do live in a world where we do struggle many times to have a begin in our life. We're suffering, where all these other things come in. And I think we do a good job explaining back here, right? Explaining the past, explaining that we're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus has done it all. And I think we do a great job explaining over here our future hope. Because Jesus is risen, we will rise also. To be absent from the body is to be a present at home with the Lord. And I think we do great at explaining these. I think we don't do so great at explaining this part that happens to be right here. You know, what is the whole purpose of the here and now? You know, why, why are we here as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why hasn't he taken us home? And we say many times, well, it's to glorify him. And we, say, and we say many times, how we glorify him is by having faith in him. But let me ask you a question. What does it look like to have faith in Jesus Christ? And certainly, again, I hope we would say something like this. Well, it's to have faith in his character and what he has spoken. In other words, what he has promised. And how we live by faith is we take the promises of Christ and we live in light of them. Now think of it, because all of us go through suffering, all of us go through disappointment, and all of us go through heartache. And think of it, again, there's two questions here. One is, how many promises do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ that you can live, that you can find encouragement, that you can find comfort in the here and now? And here's, and here's the second question. How many times do you turn there? How many times, again, are you down in the dumps? Are you discouraged? Are you frustrated with life or whatever it happens to be? And you cognitively, you intentionally put your mind on these promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can be more encouraging in our life to recognize what Christ has promised us and to live in light of that. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, I know it's really easy for all of us to get lost in the middle of our lives, lost in the middle of our stories, but I really want to encourage you again this afternoon to see these promises. Christ really hasn't left us as, as orphans. He's really given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And one of the things that he promises in this passage of Scripture is a greater knowing of him. And you can see that in verse number 21 of our, our passage, because look at what he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will, will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, let me tell you, this promise is a little different than the one that went ahead, which uh, the one that happened to be just before, which basically promises a greater assurance of our salvation. 
You know, and we know from the word of God, and we read in the word of God, again, about the sufficiency of all that Jesus Christ has done. I don't think we need a lot of argumentation on that. I don't think we need, you know, 10 proofs of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, 10 proofs, again, that God exists or anything else like that. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's spirit works in our spirit to show the truth, the validity of these truths. But what I'm talking about, again, right here, is a greater knowing of Christ, a greater intimacy, a greater love, a greater joy in him. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this should be true of your life. You know, the more that you live before him, the more that you come in contact with his word, the more knowing, knowledge he gained, there should be a knowing of him, right? There should be a joy, there should be a trust, there should be a confidence in this great Christ. Now, the promise is there in the text, but it's a little hard to see. And the reason why is because there's two commands. There's two challenges. But the promise is right at the end of verse number 21. And look at what it says. And it says, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus says this, I will love him. And what he's talking about is the believer in Jesus Christ, right? And he says, I will love him. And it's speaking about this time to come. And it's speaking about this perfect love. God, in a way, loves the same way that we do, but loves differently because his love is perfect. And Jesus Christ's love is perfect. And I think many times we, we forget that because his love is not like ours. And ours goes up, ours goes down, ours goes up, ours goes down. His is always, again, absolutely perfect. So think of it. Jesus Christ cannot love you more than he loves you right now. You know, that's a great thought, isn't it? It doesn't dissipate. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down by my disobedience or by my obedience. He loves me perfectly. And this is what he promises. He promises that the ones that he loves, here it is, he will manifest. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to manifest? And manifest just basically means to reveal, to make known, to be seen. Now, think of this. Because the passage is absolutely extraordinary. Jesus is speaking about going away, right? He's already said this. Yeah, I'm going to go away and you will see me no more, right? And now he's saying, the one that I truly love, I will manifest myself to him. In other words, it's more needful that I go away because if I go away, you're going to have a more intimate, a greater glory, a, a greater glorious knowing of me than you could ever have if I remained you know, and the question is, again, how do we know him? You know, and many people will answer that question that we know Christ and we have a greater knowing of Christ through experiences that happen to be in our life. Whether it happens to be some mystical experience where God talks to us or whatever it happens to be. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know Christ. Here it is. And we know him intimately through his word. Right? The Spirit of God works in our hearts to reveal Christ, and we know him. It's not just an academic knowledge, but it's a real knowing of him, a real uh, understanding of him. It's just not knowledge for knowledge's sake. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know this. The demons know that Jesus is the Christ, right? They know he's the Lord. But there's no relationship that happens to be right here. What he's promising right here is a deeper, a more glorious, a more substantial and satisfying relationship. 
You know, so often we read in just an academic way, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says, all scripture, this is the key right here of knowing him, all scripture is breathed out by God. And then it says, and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. And the reason why it teaches and reproves and corrects and trains is because Jesus is becoming more real in our lives through his word. There's a greater trust, there's a greater joy, there's a greater love, there's a greater confidence in knowing him. And I think we've all experienced that at different times in our life, haven't we? You know, where all of a sudden somebody's preaching and all of a sudden we gain a greater insight, a greater knowledge in God's word. And God just becomes so much more real. Maybe it was the first time we heard an exposition or maybe we heard a fresh exposition of Romans 8.28. And we're there and we're thinking about all our circumstances and we realize even these circumstances that are so hurtful, that are so tough in our life are working for our good and for the glory of God. And all we can do is praise him. And there's like an intimacy that we have with God through that passage of Scripture. Or it could, should come, or could come through a passage like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And we read that passage of Scripture and we realize he's really done it all. Even faith is a gift that has been given to us by God. And all we can do is praise him for our salvation. And we feel this closeness. We feel this bond with Jesus Christ that's so strong. Or maybe we read Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and we realize that we're there with that mighty throng praising the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And we realize the fruition of our salvation and we realize everything's going to work out. You know, we are going to be with Jesus Christ and all we can do is praise him. But here's my whole point. Through the scriptures, there is a greater, not just knowledge of Christ, certainly that's needed, but there's a greater knowing of Christ. That's the way the scriptures are meant to, to work in our hearts and in our lives. There's a greater understanding of these truths. And I realize, you know, life can be tough. We all have trials, we all have difficulties, we all have temptations, and there's a failure many times for us to know Christ in a greater degree. And I want us to see as we look at this, this is given for us, isn't it? To drive us back to the word of God. And there's a couple stipulations that happen to be again on this greater knowing of Christ. And they happen to be again obedience and love. In other words, again, that's the way it functions, right? God creates a love for him in our word, in, in, in our hearts, and what we return is that love. And the more that we love Christ, the more it draws us to obey him. And the more that we obey him and love him and seek to know him, the more that we love him. And that process keeps going. That happened to begin in our life. So look at the whole verse in light of that. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, these are certainly signs of their salvation, that we love God, that we're walking in obedience, that we walk in holiness and fellowship with him. He's created this new light, uh, love that happens to be again in each one of us. There's a new direction, a new holiness that happens to be in our life. But I also want to realize, as we look at this promise that there is a promise for those who happen to be walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus. Now think about it. You know, how much intimacy would we really have with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
when we have known sin that happened to begin in our life. Do you, think, do you think Christ would manifest himself again in a more complete and more knowing way? You know, when I have sin that happens to begin in my life, sin that I know about, do you think there would be a greater joy or greater con- uh, confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ loves us with a perfect love, right? And in that perfect love, if we have known sin that we're unwilling at this time to forsake, we can feel that distance, You know, many people, again, who happen to be in that stage, many times describe their Christianity as, again, very stale. Or it just seems to be lifeless. And why? Because there's distance that happens to be, again, right there. You know, there's things that we've put ahead of Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing about Christ. He still wants that intimacy with us. You know, and one of the things we have to do is look at our lives. Maybe there's a hatred towards another brother or sister. Maybe we're dabbling in sensuality or something like that. You know, it could be, again, something that we're looking just to escape our lives, escape, again, all the hazards and trials that happen to be there. Let me just call you back. You know, when you come back to this obedient love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've heard this from from so many people, when they come back, they finally say something like this, I don't know what took me so long. I don't know why I waited. You know, this life is so grand. It's lived before this Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and that's one promise that's given, right? You know, with the Lord Jesus Christ, that as we draw near to him, there's a greater intimacy. But I also want us to see that there's a promise of the presence of our great Christ, again, in all, in in every area of our lives. And you can see that in verses 22 and following. Look at what it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You know, one of the most amazing attributes of God, one of the most amazing characteristics of God happens to be the omnipresence of God. Now think about that, because the omnipresence of God is basically this. God is everywhere, isn't he? In the totality, again, of his being. And what's key here is recognizing that God is spirit. And he's not spirit, again, like all other spirit beings that happen to be, again, out there, whether they happen to be demons, whether they happen to be uh, disembodied spirits, whether they happen to be angels, whether they happen to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We realize our spirits go home there. But we realize in all of that, our spirits have a temporal place. Otherwise, they cannot be in two places at the same time. When we say that God is spirit, what we mean by that, he's spirit in that he is present. Here it is, in the totality of his being, no matter where he happens to be, right? God's not just big like this, and part of him's here, and part of him's over here, and part of him's back there. No, God is Spirit, he is present everywhere at the self same time, whether it happens to be the deepest parts of the universe or whether it happens to be present here, right here, right now with us. Now think about it. Because sometimes when you look at the scripture, the scripture uses uh, location, doesn't it, when it speaks of God. In other words, God's at one place, but he's not at another place. You know, a good example of that happens to be at the temple, right? The Jews would go to the temple. And why would they go to the temple? The temple was where God was. You know, we many times talk about God being in heaven 
in a way that he's not in other places. Now, here's the question. How can we talk about God's omnipresence over here, and how can we talk about God's presence over here in a particular location? How can we do that? And the way that we do that is when we're talking about location. I want you to get this. We're talking about a specific relationship. So God is present with his people in a relational sense where he is not present with others, right? And that is what we see, again, that happens to be again in this verse. But look at, look at what leads up to that, and it's a question by Judas. It says in verse number two, 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is, it that you will not manifest, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And it's a great question, isn't it? You have to think again. He's still on this side. He, all, he hasn't been through all of this. And it's really confusing because Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to manifest myself. You're going to know me like you've never known me before. And the world I get will not see me, but you will see me. And he's using all of this language. And it's really confusing because he's not on the other side of the cross. And he's still thinking. He's not thinking spiritually. He's thinking physically. He's thinking, again, like uh, God's manifestation in the time of Egypt, in the ten plagues that came over Egypt. God was showing himself to be God over all the other gods that happened to be again around him. And he's still thinking, again, of this kingdom, this physical kingdom rather than all that God, again, was going to do, all that was going to take place. So listen to the answer uh, Jesus gives. Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make his home with him. And it's the same truth that has been just said. There is a love, there is a love of Jesus there is a love for the Father, and, the, and we realize there is a love that Jesus has for us and a love that the Father has for us. And here's the thing you have to realize. The reason why we love God is because he, here it is, first loved us. Because he first loved us. And let me tell you, that goes against all the external circumstances that go on in our thinking many times. And that's why the Word of God, again, is such a template to run everything through. Because in all of our circumstances, if we based everything that happens to be again on them, we would think beyond a shadow of a doubt, we might come to a conclusion, God is against me. God is not present. God doesn't love me. God is not here. God is not again in control of these or whatever it happens to be. But one of the greatest evidences of God's love in our life, get it, you know, is that we love him. The reason why we love him is not natural. It's supernatural. It's been implanted in us to trust and love and laud this one who happens to be above. And right after he gives that truth, you know, he gives the promise. And the promise, again, is at the end of the, um, it's at the end of the verse. And it's really an answer to Judas's question. And we will come to him and make our home to him, right? How are you going to manifest yourself? And this is how we're going to come and we're going to make a home to him. And think about it. Because when we talk about the omnipresence of God, what we're talking about right here is not that he's present everywhere. That's a truth. But what we're talking about is the relational presence of God, right? And we have this truth taught over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and following. It says, Are you, do, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
Now, a temple in the ancient world was a place where deity dwelt, right? Right. So there would be the temple of Diana, there'd be a temple here, there'd be a temple there, and that's where that deity dwelt. And right here we see that God dwells with us. Here it is, through the person of the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit of Christ, we have the Spirit of God the Father that dwells in our hearts, that dwells in us, in this intimate, in this forever relationship that happens to be again right here. And there couldn't be a more glorious, a more strong, a more certain bond than the one that we have with God. And there's a couple of applications that we can make there. If God, again, is this promise that he's going to come and and dwell with his people, there's a couple of applications, and the first application is made over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that is, again, sin should be a great problem for the people of God, shouldn't it? You know, if God dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ, if the Spirit of God the Father dwells in our hearts, then sin should be a serious problem that happens to be in each one of our lives. You know, because think of it, because it's often been said, you know, that sin in an unbeliever is more awful, is more disgraceful, is more bad than sin that happens to be in a believer. You know, and and why? Because sin in a believer has been forgiven. And let me say, it is more bad than sin. Uh, Sin in a believer is not as bad as sin in an unbeliever. It is absolutely worse. And it's absolutely worse because of the person who dwells in our hearts and in our lives that we're the temple, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. And now we have been indwelt by none other than the deity that happens to be again above. And it's worse to have sin in our lives when our bodies are consecrated to this great God that happens to be again above. There is a second application. The second application is basically this. We're never alone. We'll never be abandoned as orphans as this paragraph begins. You have the totality of God dwelling with you and in you. And all the resources, again, of God's grace come to bear that happen to be again on our life. We talked a little bit about this in the men's uh, 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 breakfast yesterday. But there's a sense, again, where we, as our, whatever God has called us to do in our life, however God has called us to follow him, however God has called us to trust him in our life, We can never say, I can't. Now, we could say, I can't, if it was only us. But we have the presence, the all a presence of God dwelling in us with all of the resources that go along with it. So much so that whatever area God has called us to follow him in, we can follow him. We can praise him. We can laud him. So think of these promises. Because there's really two types of individuals that make professions of faith, aren't there? There's ones, again, who truly believe, and there's ones who truly not believe. And the question, again, we asked this morning is, you know, where's our confidence? Our confidence is in Christ, but there's a fruit of our salvation, isn't there? You know, and, and Jesus talks about, again, one of these professions in verse number 24. You know, and look at what it says. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. How can we know somebody who professes love, but they don't really love Jesus? This is how. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear, this is the importance of it, is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. There's a commonality in the words of Christ and the words of God the Father. Now think about this. Here's a person who makes a profession of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is the way that they live. 
They live as if Jesus Christ never came. They live as if there is no abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God does not dwell in their hearts and in their lives. They are, they are living their lives as Jesus has never come, is never active in their life, and has not given these blessed truths. And then there is another one who professes salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's such an intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's not just about facts and figures, but it's a living for Christ. Yes, life is tough, but there is such a joy, such a peace, such a confidence, a growing confidence in the abiding presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves as we look at our lives is, which describes us? You know, are we living in light of these promises? Are we walking by faith in what Jesus Christ has said and what Jesus Christ has promised in each one of our lives? The challenge, you know, and the encouragement that happens to be again of this passage of Scripture is walk in light in the promises of our great Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your loving kindness. And we thank you for these promises. It is incredible to think, Lord, beyond a shadow of a doubt, as we look at these promises, Lord, that we have a knowing of you. And we realize even in that knowing, we can have a greater knowing of who you happen to be, so much so that we can walk before you. And Lord, even as we think about this knowing, we think of that knowing why it's possible, and that is your presence. Lord, abides with the Christian. Lord, that you indwell us through, through your spirit. We just ask that you would be, be with us, that we would again gain encouragement and light through these truths. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen.